Hey friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, SheCast episode 79. And I'm on with a new friend, Chef Bill Haley. Yeah, Chef Bill Haley. I was like, (laughs) Bill Haley? And then, you know, you always question yourself and think about it way too much. So anyway, I am on with Chef Bill Haley, and um, I'm so excited. So I just was doing some kind of I wouldn't even call it Instagram research because let's just be honest. Sometimes we're on Instagram and we're just like scrolling, right? Right. You land on someone's page and then you go to someone else's page and then it just kind of um, goes from there. there. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can get down, you know, fall down the um, Instagram rabbit hole. But I am so glad that I stumbled on your Instagram page and I saw that you are a recovery advocate like myself and I thought, let me just reach out to him on his (laughs) page and see if he'd be willing to come on and, you know, share some experience, strength, and hope. And he said, yeah. So welcome to the podcast, Bill. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Absolutely. Totally. So tell us in your own words who you are briefly. Well, I am an only child to a single mom. I grew up in the back of a kitchen, uh, Italian kitchen. She worked as a waitress. So um, naturally I gravitated towards food. Uh, The the kitchen essentially felt very safe to me. Most people think of it as like a stressful environment. Um, And for me, it's home, the smell, the the taste, the sounds. Um, So I've always loved that. Um, And then growing up, you know, I was always uh, uh, the guy at the parties cooking for everybody, making something out of nothing at two in the morning, you know, just doing, just just instinctually just making things. Um, And then uh, I played football up until college my first year, and uh, I was partying pretty hard at that point. Um, So flunked out of school, stopped going to practice, and kind of lost myself for a second. And then uh, I gravitated towards food. I said, you know what, what do I really love to do? Cook. So I grabbed a backpack and I drove up to San Francisco and uh, I went to the, uh, the Cordon Bleu Academy, um, not a dollar in my pocket, uh, signed a crazy, huge student loan that I wasn't prepared to pay and um, went to school. Uh, from there, I got my externship at the Four Seasons and right off the bat, um, I did really well with food. It, it just stuck with me. You know, I, like, I, I, not only did I get what food was, but I saw what it could be. And then I saw what it could be to me. And I thought, oh my God, this is mine. And my, my upbringing was full of love and torment at the same time. You know, it sure. was, I, was, I was being used as a tool against my, my dad and mm-hmm. emotionally you know, abandoned. There's so many things that went on that was just, so no one taught me how to handle it. Uh, so when I found the kitchen, I go, oh my God, I know what I'm doing here. People need me, this makes sense. So the crazier my life got, the better I got at work because I just, I, I would stay 18 hours at work. I, I didn't mind because going home, I hated it. I was scared to go home and I was scared. I didn't handle life well. I handled the kitchen very well. Sure. So um, that was the first time food saved me, you know, because otherwise I probably would have killed myself. Honestly, like I, I can't, I could not handle real life. Um, so that's when I fell in love with food the first time. Um, I've been really blessed to have worked with some great chefs that like, it's not necessarily my talent as opposed to my work ethic. Like I just do whatever it takes and I never, I never stop. And that got me the opportunity 
to, you know, I worked for the Four Seasons for a long time, first in Newport, then they moved me to Hawaii, I stayed on the islands for a couple years. Uh, that what was, islands? Uh, the Big Island mainly, in, in um, uh, Hilo, uh, worked for the Four Seasons. Um, Lanai, we opened the Four Seasons, and then uh, stayed on Maui for six months. I love really Maui. I went uh, for the first time last year, and it was such a gift. It is, it's a breathtaking place. I mean, I, you know, my days were spent uh, either spearfishing, bodyboarding, uh, smoked a lot of weed, and then uh, I cooked all day long. Uh, I never wore anything but board shorts and flip-flops for three years. Uh, it was a, a, a gift. Um, yeah, it is a gift. It was. It's so beautiful. But I came home, and uh, I got a chance to work at the uh, Big Canyon Country Club, which is a high-end golf course in Newport. Got a chance to – that's my first time I got to reopen um, a kitchen. So oh, nice. from the ground up, um, I met a girl there, and she uh, fell in love with her. And she's like, oh, I'm moving to New York. And I go, okay, I'm following you. I have to, you're my, my answer, you know. And um, <clears throat> so I remember I went out to visit her. And this, this is when I think I realized um, the time in my life where, like, I'm meant to be a chef. Because I went to visit her. And she picked me up from the, on the train, and we sat at the Soho Grand Hotel. And I remember we were sitting there eating, and I've never been to New York. My eyes are big, and this place is beautiful. And I go, I want to work here. And so I got up. I said, babe, I'll be right back. I went to the kitchen, and uh, I said, can I speak to your head chef? And a couple minutes later, this tattooed, slick back, like total typical Brooklyn Italian chef says, hey, what, do you, what, what the fuck do you want, man? Uh, I'm like, I just I want to work for you. And he's like, can you cook? I said, yeah, like, like now? And he's, yeah, right now. I worked eight hours for him. He hired me. And I said, uh, he's like, do you start tomorrow? And I go, well, I live in California. Can I come back in two weeks? And he's like, yeah, you got two weeks, man. And so uh, two weeks later, I moved out. And I worked with that chef for almost a year. Um, and the, the funniest thing happened. So he was really hard on me for the first eight months. I mean, I worked overnight shifts. He was just grinding me down. And I thought he hated me. Uh, and then one day at about nine months in, he goes, Bill, after work, I'm going to take you to dinner and uh, we're going to talk. And I thought, Fuck, he's going to fire me. I'm, I'm done. Um, and so we leave work and we're walking towards the Spring Street Cafe. It's a little small restaurant in New York. And he goes, Bill, you're missing the point of what you're doing. I said, what? He goes, you can cook, but you miss why you're cooking. You don't mm. understand that. And I thought, what do you mean? He goes, we're going to go to dinner with some friends and I want to show you what it's like to eat and the experience of dining and why we do what we do because you're missing it. And he's like, but please don't be at your age. Don't be immature. Just, just these guys are my friends. And I didn't know who he's talking about yet. So uh, we get there and it's Anthony Bourdain and Todd English, which is his childhood mm -hmm. friends, two of like culinary giants that I've like, Huge. Oh my God. And I sat and I had dinner with these three men and we talked about food and we had eight courses and we're eating and talking. And, and I thought to myself, Oh my God, like, and it clicked for me why we eat like and, and dine and can, the connection you make. And from there I ended up uh, working with Todd for a number of years. We opened up a bunch of restaurants and that was uh, an amazing experience in itself. But I moved home uh, two years ago and uh, it was time to come home. And home is California, yes? Yeah, Huntington okay. Beach, absolutely. Uh, I had, my drug problem had been way out of control. Sure. Uh, the girl I was living with at the time, she didn't come from where I came from, so she didn't, 
she knew something was wrong, but she didn't know what it was, you sure. know? Um, so she wanted to move home. Little did I know that was because she wanted to leave me and that was the safest thing she knew how to do. So we came home, she left, I went to treatment and, um, I got out of treatment and I, you know, landed an executive chef job fresh out of treatment at a hotel in Los Angeles. I was, and so, when did you go to treatment? Um, did you say a couple years ago? No, I'm sorry. I moved, I missed the part. I moved home from New York. Okay. Um, I got a job as a head chef at the hotel in LA. My girlfriend left. And at the time when I got the executive chef job, first time I've ever had that much responsibility, I was heavily into heroin. And, okay. um, I was literally like running a hotel by the just pure, just grit. I was, you know, living in my car, I made $120,000 a year and I couldn't pay rent or put gas in my car. Um, but I, you know, I was running a hotel and I was doing it, but at the same time I was slowly like chipping away at myself and I was losing it, losing it, losing it. And, um, at about eight months, I had my first big mistake as a chef. Um, I got fired on the spot. Um, uh, and my life crumbled. I thought, Oh my God, it, it was, I didn't know what to do. Sure. So at that, at that point, you know, I reached out to the one person that I knew was sober and I said, Hey man, I, I don't know what to do. First time in my life I've ever admitted to another man that I didn't know what to do. I need help. So he said, Hey, I got this program. It's in Costa Mesa. It's called Treehouse. It's for all men. It's run by Navy SEALs. It's, it's the no, it's the no bullshit kind of deal, man. It is, um, it's, you know, six months of, you know, no outside contact. You, you go through this group with, uh, on a team of, uh, up to 10 guys and you guys, and then the, for the next six months, learning how to be men and, and change your life. And you're thinking, you go through this intense therapy. It is an amazing program for men. It definitely changed my life. Um, so at that point, that, that experience in itself was um, the first time I'd ever tackled big issues in my life. You know, like I was always afraid to talk about what it, being my childhood and the things that went on and um, all the emotional pain that I felt and all that. And these men helped me work through that. Uh, it was hard. It, it took a long time to get past all my layers of bullshit, you know, because I put so much extra on things. Um, but through treatment, um, they taught me how to make my bed, how to brush my teeth. Uh, um, it took a long time. They taught me how to love myself. You know, they taught me that I was the only person that could put worth and value into me. And I didn't know I could do that. When they told me that, I was like, are you, are you joking? Like, I'm the one that, that puts my value on me. I don't, I spent my whole life waiting for my dad to put it in me, waiting for my mom to give it to me, from her to give me value. And no one ever did, because no one ever can. You know, I had to give myself that value. And they showed me how to do that. Um, and they, they gave me tools to empower myself, you know, so... Um, that was the first time I really um, started to experience a sense of freedom. And I stayed in treatment for – the program is six months. I stayed for 10. They, they, they knew I needed it. I needed some heavy time, you know. So after that, I, uh, I managed their sober living because as a transistor, you go to the sober living part. I managed that, and I landed a job as an executive chef of a treatment center in Newport Beach. I didn't know that treatment centers had – chefs and so I was doing that and at this point my recovery was good but I didn't feel normal you know like I, I couldn't connect to God 
I didn't understand what God was. You know, I, I didn't have a spirituality. I told you I did, but I, I didn't really understand that. I had trouble connecting to myself, but I was still doing all the things that you asked of me. I went to meetings, you know, I uh, worked with my sponsor. I had sponsees, you know, I'm doing all these things and I didn't feel normal working out twice a day, you know, and, um, and then I met a girl. Uh, I don't know if you know Danica Bereisha. She is uh, an amazing, amazing woman. And I fell in love with her instantly. But one day when I first met her, she's like, you know, have you ever heard about Whole30? And, you know, she was talking about food changing my brain and all these other things. And I thought, first of all, you're crazy. I know everything there is to know about food, but you're so beautiful. That, like, sure, yes, please teach me. And uh, she, she gave me the experience of my first Whole30. And she told me it would change me if I let it. Uh, so she showed me about food and how my gut bacteria and, and all these, you know, the, what I eat affects the way I feel. And at the end of my first Whole30, I had never been more clear-headed, mm. focused, connected to myself. And I, I was more open to spirituality. And God. I felt like I had been unblocked. And I thought, oh, my God. I was doing everything, but the one thing that nobody taught me was about the food part of it. If I changed the way I ate, my recovery would exponentially grow. Sure. You know, because what do we do if, if I don't have drugs? I'm leaning on something, sugars, candies, fast food. Everybody in recovery thinks that you can put your recovery in a microwave, turn it on, and you're going to be healthy. You know, that's not the way it works. Um, so that kind of spawned the idea of culinary recovery, and I wanted to effectively help change the way people in recovery eat. And that's the second time food saved me because it allowed me to gain control of my life again. And it opened me up in, in ways that I didn't expect it to. And it had so much power. So that's like, I guess, a brief one. I hope it wasn't too <laughs> long winded. No, no, I like that. Um, because you did talk about, you know, what happened or what it was like, what happened and, and we'll get to what it's like now for you because it sounds like your life has changed in remarkable ways. And um, I think one of the important things to note um, for anyone who's listening is that Chef Bill's life looked one way on the outside, but what was really going on on the inside. And he still was sitting with some pretty notable people um, you know, at that dinner table. And that was in the throes of your disease, you know, your addiction. And so mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean I, I, I feel like one of the main reasons I do this podcast is to eliminate stigma associated with substance use disorder, but also to really share a real picture of what alcoholism, addiction, substance use disorder looks like. You can still get stuff done, right? Well, well this, this, this is the thing too, you know, like, um, my dad left when I was a kid, sure. like four or five. My mom loved me intensely, but I don't think was emotionally available enough to, to help me win areas that I needed to process things. So sure. every, every man in my life that I, that I needed left me without an, without an explanation. Um, people that I loved either left or they did people. I was, I've been, I was treated like I wasn't valued you know so sure. like i grew up thinking that i you know i'm not worth much i'm not worth the effort people leave me everybody yeah. leaves. So my instinctual response is i'm going to protect myself so absolutely I, 
I learned very quickly how to keep people around. Like I learned if I acted this way or if I did this, that you would stay. So like I became a master at doing whatever I had to do to make sure people stayed around me. So I wasn't alone, yeah. you know, and, but I also put a block up so you never got too close to me. You know, I, I was the poster boy for like, everyone would look at me, a guy's life is perfect. Mm-hmm. And literally like I spend all my time trying to make you believe that everything's okay. Right. And inside, all I want to do is I want the pain to stop. Sure. But I don't have the courage to, I don't have the courage to kill myself because I don't want to die. But at the same time, like it's too much for me to handle. So I have to numb it out. Sure. I, I didn't, that's it, you know? And so, uh, yeah, we, we become masters at protecting ourselves. Absolutely. So you did Whole30 and now I'm intrigued, even though I've heard of it, but I'm like, eh, that's okay. You know, I will definitely take a look at it again. Um, you did Whole30, your life changed, your head was clear, um, even more clear than, you know, new, new recovery clear. Um, and you're in love, you're in this relationship. So what happens next? How did you parlay your Whole30 experience to culinary recovery? Well, I think when Danica first introduced me to the Whole30 and what her message she's putting out, because um, she struggles with eating disorder herself and she helps tons and tons of women, you know, working through their issues and coaching them yeah. and get, uh, empowering women. And um, she, when I learned about that, I thought, oh my God, like, this is the real deal. Like what I put in my, because I've been a drug addict for, for almost 30 years. I've always had control of what I put in my body. It, unfortunately, like my, the things that I put in were hurting me, but they gave me immediate gratification. Sure. Um, with food, it's not necessarily that immediate, but it is longer lasting, right? And, and it has a more profound effect on you. So as I changed what I ate, again, control back again in another area. And my head, my heart, my, my body was working so much better and allowed me, you know, I had more energy, I had more... Um, tenacity to do these things with my, my program with, with, uh, you know, all these other things. I just, I felt the best me possible, you know, and then she started teaching me why food does what it does. And I realized that imagine if you were just coming in, like when you come into recovery, you've been hurting your body for so long, you know, they say, just don't do drugs or drink, but eat whatever you want and smoke as much cigarettes as you want. And, you know, you'll deal with that at a later time. Just don't be used. Okay. But I'm still running to sugar when I'm fucking hurt or I overeat at night because I'm alone, you know, and all these other disorders that you, we, we, we protect ourselves. And if no one tells you that that's bad for you, you're going to, your first six months you spend eating microwave food and candies and sugars and all this other crap. And you're slowing your own recovery. Cause I mean, pause, for example, you know, post acute withdrawal syndrome, you know, you, if you gave your body the nutrients to recover faster, that time is cut down to three, six months instead of 18, you know, and, imagine if you came into recovery from day one and you fed your body nothing but nutrient dense, tasteful, beautiful food that you connected with another human being while you ate, you would recover exponentially faster. Sure. You would have a, a longer lasting recovery. You'd be healthier quicker. I mean, and there's nobody does it. Nobody talks about that. You know, they just, allow people to eat whatever they want. Just don't do drugs and you're fine. And that's just not true because we're given this gift 
of having a body still. We're alive. We didn't kill ourselves. Sure. And people, I don't want to be 30 years sober, extremely overweight and still complaining about my life. You know, like yeah. you're given this gift and you, you, I think by us not honoring our bodies, that's just, you're missing the point of the program itself is to take care of us, you know, and I want to help change that. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, I will say you're right. I mean, a good book, some people call it the good book. Some people call it other things, um, talks about the body as a temple and, you know, taking a look at that is incredibly important. In addition to I do feel like sometimes in recovery communities, there is a talk of this is worse, right, than this. Um, Similar to church, capital C, the church, right? This sin, which I don't talk like that, but is worse or better than this other one. And people kind of exchange things. So they put set aside drugs and alcohol, right, in exchange for candy, which candy is sugar, alcohol is sugar. So it makes sense why the craving continues. You're just switching it out for something else. Um, You know, and, and so I'm stepping in just to say to anyone who's listening, do I want someone to decide to turn in their um, hot tamales and pick up a drink instead? No, I don't. However, (laughs) this is a novel way to think about it. And so a wise person in my life says just because they do it differently doesn't mean it's wrong. So consider it, you know, if you are a part of recovery community in any capacity, uh, whether you're an advocate, you are in recovery, you're in transitional or rehab or treatment, consider what Chef Bill is saying, because just because people have done things for a really long time doesn't necessarily mean that's correct either. Um, And it does make sense that um, when we commune, I I feel like music and food are really powerful mediums for community, you know, right? And eliciting memories of good and bad times. And so um, there's something to be said when you are knee to knee with someone or when you are face to face um, sitting across the table with someone um, and sharing a meal. And the better the meal, I feel like the better the conversation and the better the community and love. Yeah, you know, you, it's a, you touched on something really uh, profound to me, too. So, you know, this treatment center I went through, we, it was 10 guys to each team. And we lived together. We woke up every day together. We spent the six months together. And, you know, me being, I love food. You know, when I started getting comfortable with life again, uh, about two months in, I started cooking, you know, on Friday nights. And I'd cook for the guys. It'd be 10 of us, and I'd, we'd all pull our money together and, and make a big dinner. We'd sit at a table. And I remember we were sitting down. I just made a, like an Italian dinner, and we were eating, and we were talking. And I felt this surreal moment. And I think that's that like what planted the seed for culinary recovery because at that moment, I'm sitting with, for one, I don't know how to have friends, and I'm just learning. And I'm sitting at a table with people. I have no wall up. I'm talking about the real me. We're laughing, we're communicating, we're, there's no uh, therapist there, sponsor. It's just men t- talking about the real us over food, and it was the most bonding experience. And I thought, man, if, you know, I, I never got a chance to have dinner with a family like all my other friends did, you know, and so I think I crave that. And I think a lot of addicts, you know, we feel alone inside, and connection is, 
you know, what we crave on some level and food connects us, music connects us. Like these things um, are so powerful. And I think that's just what really got me looking at like, I want more of that. I want to be able to give that experience to somebody, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person who's been, who's felt alone and, and wants to feel connected. And, you know, right. bringing experience to people, I think is, is, is a task I'm worth taking on, you know? It's true. So next time I'm in California, I know where oh, I'm hanging oh, out because uh, I'm all over it. I'll take care. You're, you're dining with us. I'm hungry now. Um, I was on, when I hopped on the, uh, the call with chef Bill, I was telling him um, not to judge me because I had a cookie um, that was supposed to tide me over. And really I could have probably eaten my um, RX bar, which would have been more nutritious. Um, but it's what I picked up. And of course he had no judgment. Um, only compassion and empathy of course and so um i was i'm hungry um as we're talking about food um but but you know what it's like it's these soul connections um and i would imagine and some of you may believe in heaven hell um some of you may believe in in a different different way i kind of feel like it's this like amazing place where people are people and there's a lot of love and light and um and that's how i feel too and it sounds like that was your experience with these 10 guys um just connecting on a soul level um over amazing food that like lights up your type your taste buds um which is incredibly powerful so tell us more about culinary recovery you've told us kind of the why so how did it come to be and how can people be involved? And I always like to ask, how can people who feel compelled to reach into their wallets um, support financially? Um, is there an option for that as well so that you can continue this good work? Yeah. So um, when, when I got my first job out of treatment, um, a friend of mine said, hey, you know, I know this treatment center that needs a chef if you're into it. And I said, awesome. So uh, I took the job and um, I was feeding about 30 men a day. They had two houses um, cooking out of uh, just a regular old kitchen, you know, nothing special. Uh, And I started feeling like, man, because before the chef they had before, apparently just was very, very basic. Wasn't necessarily a chef and they fed him canned food and all these things. And, you know, I come and bring in fresh organic ingredients, you know, and free range chicken and, and these things. And, and noticing that, because I would see groups, three months at a time, groups of people. I worked for about a year there. And uh, every three months I'd watch how these people re- would recover. And, you know, you, I watched the food help change them. Not, it helped gave them the, I guess, essentials to change you know they're they're feeling better they're not all sugared out you know some and the ones that chose to to do that you know they eat whatever they wanted to you you could see how they did not recover as fast you know and uh that sparked the idea and i thought oh my god well how can i how can i change how people in recovery eat you know and culinary recovery just came to me you know that's that's what i want to do because i couldn't necessarily go back to a regular running hotels and kitchen life because I knew I, w- I wasn't capable of handling that. The lifestyle, the the hours needed, like I, I, I just don't want that anymore. You know, I, I don't, um, it's not, it doesn't serve me to do that. You know, because my, pro- my program wouldn't allow it. Like I have other obligations that help me, you know. So how can I still do what I love 
and have my, you know, my recovery at the same time. So I saw a big need for that. So that's kind of how that came about. And as it is now, um, it is evolving. You know, um, I have been talking with treatment centers to do like weekly classes, maybe it's just talking with the guys at dinner a week. Um, certain um, centers are looking for chefs, so training chefs uh, to go basically a certain guideline. So the way culinary recovery serves food sits within certain guidelines. You know, it's not whole 30 completely. I mean, you do have, it's organic, free range. You know, it's very, I work with um, a really cool and amazing dietitian um, that she just kind of helps me um, sculpt menus for places, mm -hmm. you know, and so we, uh, it's, it's still evolving, you know, because not, not everybody can afford a private chef in their treatment center, but, you know, we do classes once a week there. Um, and, uh, but it has now evolved into not just drug and alcohol treatment, everybody's recovering from something, you know, Danica works with women who have massive eating disorders. So culinary recovery effectively, you know, I make meals for them and, and specifically tuned out prepping or this or that. So it, it is, um, it's more than just drug and alcohol recovery. Now it's looking like a huge, everyone's recovering from something. So let, let us show you how food can help you recover. And so, um, it kind of, it's, it's, it's blown up so fast and I don't, I'm not sure. I'm just trying to tackle it all at the moment, you know, because, uh, it, it, it's just so, so many avenues right now. Um, but we're picking the treatment centers to, to start with, you know, and, and what we can do with them. So just getting the word out there and, um, you know, that's kind of where we're going with it. Yeah, it's it's difficult process because not everybody buys into it. You know, For everyone, sure. still, everybody still thinks that like, well, just we'll quit the drugs and alcohol, pick up a big book, and that is enough. And totally. honestly, to have a full recovery, it's not enough. You need to change how you eat. Agreed. So, so friends, just um, those of you who are listening in right now, a big book is the basic text of um, one of the twelve-step recovery programs, and so. Um, I always want to clue people in who may not be familiar with the nomenclature or the words that we're using as it relates to recovery. So yeah, um, what you're speaking of, it reminds me of how anyone who listens to this podcast knows I hate the following phrase, um, pull, pull yourself up from the bootstraps. I think oh. it's bullshit um, yeah. for a number of reasons. And so um, when I think of young minds, um, little people is what I call them that go to school hungry for whatever reason, um, through no fault of their own, um, because of the family dynamics and how we expect them to learn at the same level as a child who's well fed, well rested, etc. You know, it's, yeah. it's what you, you know, what you've shared has made me think of that correlation, you know, and some people just don't care about those people. Um, I'm not one of those people. And it sounds like you're not either because setting yourself up for success. It's like when people talk about privilege, a lot of times people don't like that conversation. And I say too bad. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Tell that to the people who don't have the privilege. Um, if we want to all start, you know, a race, you wouldn't have certain people starting at different places. You want everyone to start kind of at the same place so that they have the same opportunity for success and so Absolutely. when we're looking at food you know food is medicine and it has the potential to be medicine um i remember um, when i worked in primary care one of my patients came in excited for their appointment and they said shadima did you know that the mcrib is back 
And I was like, oh. no, why would I know that? Like, I, oh, I, you know, I hadn't eaten McDonald's in at that point, um, five or six years, you know? Um, yeah. And it takes what it takes. There is no judgment here, friends. Like, if you just pulled away and you're listening to this from McDonald's, there's no judgment. You know, it just takes what it takes. But I was so, um, my heart hurt though, thinking about this person who had all of the risk factors for everything. And we were actually monitoring their INR related to blood clots. And, you know, so salt Mm -hmm. is a problem, (laughs) you know, um, so many things. Right. And, um, and, and, and they thought that that was food. And I told them that's not food. And they were shocked and they were in their fifties, you know, to not know that McDonald's isn't food. And so I just say that as an example of, we definitely have more as a society to learn about food and the implications of the food that we're choosing to um, take into our bodies along with other things. And so I'm really grateful that you're doing what you do because society as a whole benefits when people recover. Well, and that's the thing, like, I mean, this opens up a bigger conversation, obviously, but like our society is set up to fail from the get go. Like the, the, the problem lies that it's cheaper to feed your family of five at McDonald's than actually going to the store and That's right. a healthy meal. So like, how can you, what, what choice do they have? Like 20 bucks is not going to buy me enough food to feed five people at a grocery store, but it'll feed me for two days at McDonald's, you know? That's and, right. The food they're pumping you is keeping you sick and you're going to go to a doctor and the doctor's going to give you medicine for that ailment. Not, not never ask you what you're eating and say, Hey, you, if you change the, this and you eat that, you won't have this anymore. You know? So like it obviously opens up a huge conversation, but you know, uh, people just aren't informed of the, the severity of the situation because it is a big deal. Like things you eat will cause cancer in your body. They will diminish your life. Like they, they take from you more than they give you, you know? And, um, to, to really be empowered, you know, I think people have a misconception of what that means, you know, like being able to make your own choices and, you know, does it serve you and is it healthy for you? And people just aren't informed. And as the culture, I think we need to um, wake up a little bit, you know, because we're, we're being fooled in a lot of areas, you know. And, That's true. Uh, yeah. So, but uh, I, I definitely agree with you on that uh, for sure. It's so true. I teach at least once or twice a week, uh, twice a month an essential oils 101 class. And you likely, or you may talk, you may um, cook with um, essential oils, but to feel empowered and to be um, educated on the things that can help serve you better in terms of your daily living and prevention and all of that good stuff is such a, it's such a powerful piece of living. And a lot of times people, we don't think, you know, um, it's easier to just be told what to do and to do it. Um, and I get that, you know, in certain instances I teach yoga and people just want to come to my class and be told what to do. And I understand that. And in other scenarios, it may make sense to, um, not, you know, (laughs) um, to think for yourself, you know? So, Well, well, that's the thing, you know, um, especially in the, in, in my program and in the, in the, in the AA community and, you know, I'm, things are done this way. This is how you do it, you know, but um, no one ever really tells you to make it your own. Like, this is what the basic guidelines are, but make it your own. Like, attach it to you personally. Like, you know, that's the beauty of working the steps is that, you know, I, I do it my own way with the same, you know, 
basic guidelines, you know, I, you know, sure. being honest, open. and uh, with the way I eat, you know, like I, I want, I, I want, I like to teach people why food does what it does. Why, you know, and then play with it, make it your own, you know, and really like bring you to it. It's like, food is like arts like it's never finished it's always constantly evolving and uh i think uh with you know there's so much power in that and if they people really latched onto that and took their power back god man like the the freedom you feel from that is just you know it's unparalleled you know but they don't know that they think freedom is being able to just do whatever i mean do whatever you want like, totally you know, that's not real freedom, you know, and like, yeah. you know, and um, even now I, I'm still learning every day about myself, about food and how I connect with it. And, um, you know, I just want everybody to feel as connected to something as I do, but you know, you gotta be open to the idea, you know? I agree. Um, so I want to honor your time and what's next on your schedule. What's next on mine. Is there anything last minute that we didn't cover that you really want to communicate to others? And quick follow-up, because I know people are thinking this, I would love to have you come back on at some point so we can continue the conversation if you're open to that. First of all, absolutely. Uh, awesome. thank, thank you so much for, for allowing me to do this. I enjoyed it. Um, I, I guess I, if I could leave somebody with one thing, just when they told me that I was the only person that could put worth and value into me. And if people really understood that you're, you're already complete, you know, uh, you don't need it. You have everything you need, you know, and I just didn't never knew that. Um, it took a long time for me to learn that. And I just would everybody just to, just to know that they're, they're already complete. You know, you just got to find yourself. That's awesome. I love that. I actually wrote that down when you, when you said it, as a quote um, in my passion planner of good things that happened this week, it's that quote. So thank that's you. really a powerful quote. So thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably, openly, honestly, um, and being willing to kind of participate in this large scale conversation around um, sobriety and recovery and even beyond that um it's really really your story is powerful and i'm so glad that you chose to share it here so thank you so much for being here uh, thank you for having me i enjoyed every moment of it i look forward to uh speaking with you again anytime and if you're ever in california i'm gonna take care of you oh definitely i trust me it's on my it's on my list <laughs> to come back Absolutely. out to california all right friends so we will turn to another story from humans of new york it appears to be a young boy, and they're in India um, this season. And it says, I started this business two, two years ago when I was 12. An older friend told me that we could make good money selling fruit. We buy the fruit from villages and bring it to the city where it gets a much higher price. My friend is six years older than me, but he couldn't keep up, so I set off on my own. I work every day. I've already made enough money to buy some land. I'm going to build a house and use the rest for farming. My parents tell me that I should be in school. I respect their views, but I also make more money than them, so it's hard to listen. Plus, I'm learning a lot about business, even though I'm skipping school. I don't think I'm skipping education. Oh, so my bad, friends. They're actually in Dhaka, Bangladesh. So... <clears throat> He is skipping school but making more money than his, um, his parents and started his own business. 
at 12 or yeah at 12 struggles real right it sure is all right so thank you all for listening for supporting the podcast being here um, if you'd like to support it financially, patreon.com forward slash the type A hippie. And that is all for now. I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I am in that place in me, there is only one of us. So have a gratitude filled rest of your day, friends. My name is Chidima. This is the Type A Hippie Podcast. She cast episode 79. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you again.